I find this quite fascinating that an angel, literally an archangel, this is a high-ranking, governing, angelic host that has come from God to this teenage, unwed, uh, you know, woman and gives her this crazy word that she has found favor with God and that the Lord is with her and that she is going to become pregnant and give birth to the Messiah. Can we all pause for the cause? This is wild, right? And, and you know, obviously the angel recognizes there's some fear. He said, lay the fear aside. Don't worry, you're favored. And then we see Mary responding to this prophetic word in, an, in a way that I think should inspire all of us. God has spoken to her about her destiny. He has spoken to her about her purpose. And she doesn't shrink back, but she steps, it up, steps up and she said, be it unto me according to your word. Don't you guys think that's awesome? Now, what I think is really awesome is the fact that this is a teenage girl standing before an archangel with such great boldness. Because there are many times in the scripture when we see grown men have encounters with angels or with the presence of God. And what often accompanies that encounter for grown men is that they hit their face and they fall to the ground, the Bible says, like a dead man. But this teenage girl, see, women of God, you guys have an anointing for encounter. You have an anointing for angelic visitation. And unlike all of these grown men in the past, Mary, this bold teenager, says, So be it unto me, according to your word. Here I am. Send me, Lord. I just, you know, I just want to say, women of God, you guys are fascinating. You guys carry a holy boldness to receive words from heaven that the church needs, that the men of God need. All the men of God said, Amen. Because there's a holy boldness, there's a fearlessness in you guys that we need to see the kingdom come. Right? So you guys know the story. I'm going to jump and read one more, one more little scripture. But, you know, Mary gives birth to Jesus. And you guys know the story, the, you know, the Christmas story. And uh, what, what she does is she takes Jesus to the temple, which is a, which is a custom. It, it's it's kind of like we bring our babies to church to dedicate them. Right? You guys ever been to a baby dedication before? Well, Mary and Joseph are doing something very similar. They're taking uh, baby Jesus to the temple. And on their way in, there is an interesting man there named Simeon who's a prophet, and he prophesies over the child Jesus. And the parents, Joseph and Mary, hear the prophetic word, and they're perplexed, the Bible says, because of what has been said about, um, about the, the boy. Now, let me read to you from Luke chapter 2, verse 35. And just, I'll, I'll read it in context. Let's start at verse 33. And his father and his mother marveled, at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, the child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is, that is opposed. Um, yeah, that is opposed. Now get this, in my Bible it's in parentheses. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now let's put the emphasis here 
on, on a prophetic word that all of us would discount and consider to be bad. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Now, hold on. Wait just a minute. Didn't the archangel Gabriel say just a few months previous that she had found great favor with God? What is this guy saying over here that a sword is going to pierce my soul? Are you serious? You must not be dialed in, Simeon. You must not have heard the words of the angel that I received in this mystical encounter and visitation. The angel said that I was favored. And Simeon says, yeah, yeah, you're favored by God. Yeah, you're blessed and highly favored. But a sword is going to pierce through your soul. Hold, hold on, wait, what do you mean, Simeon? Like, what do you, did you not, did you not hear that part about the Lord being with me? That the Lord is with me? That he's right here with me? What are you talking about a sword piercing my soul for? But what Simeon is prophesying and really what the scriptures reveal to us is that to get involved with God is not safe. But to get involved with God is actually to invite great risk into your life. And that's what we recognize here in this journey of Mary. That she could have said, thanks but no thanks. I'm good. Nah, that's okay. Give my destiny. Give my prophetic promise. Give my purpose to the next person. Give it to the next generation. Give it to the person who sits next to me at church. Give it to the person I'm in class with on Tuesday afternoon. But instead, she said, here I am. So be it unto me according to your word. Some of you guys in here today are remembering moments in your past. Some of it was youth group. Some of it was acquire the fire. Guys, feel like I'm talking to somebody on that one. Where you had a legitimate encounter with God. Some of you guys were here when we were Iris. Some of you guys were here when we were house church. Some of you guys were here last month, and you've had legitimate encounters with God that felt significant, just as significant as this angelic visitation that Mary received where you heard the Lord declare prophetic promise over your life. You heard the Lord declare, this is what you were born for. You heard the Lord tell you, this is why I created you. You are not meant to just exist. You are meant to release my kingdom love and power. And I know you've had that experience before. But maybe you also didn't have a simian experience where said, here's what that's going to cost you. Here's what that's going to cost you. Here's what that's going to mean for you. Because we can never forget that the death of Jesus was also the death of Mary's baby boy. It's important that we consider that, especially for those of us who are parents who I know that it's easier to consider because you have kids. That the death of Jesus was the death of Mary's son. Get involved with God is not safe. So I want to talk a little bit about that for the next, you know, 15 minutes or so. And, and encourage you with it. It may not sound like it's going to be encouraging yet. But I just don't, I don't want to sugarcoat anything for you, Legacy Nashville. Okay, I don't want to sugarcoat anything for you, world changers. I don't want to sugarcoat anything for you, those of you who have a dream in your heart, to transform cities. Those of you that have a dream in your heart to transform industries. Those of you who have a dream in your heart to transform diff different spheres of culture. 
to do different things in different places all around the world that's going to write history and shift nations. You guys know you're born for this, right? Could I say it again? Anything less than world change is compromise. This is what you're born for. I like to sneak this in. You know, you're not an anointed bench warmer. I, I didn't get enough amens. So I'm going to try this side. I was looking at y'all. You're not an anointed bench warmer. Amen? Right? You're called to get in the game and to be a part of what God's doing in your generation. Amen? Amen. All right. So, Father, we just ask you to bless and anoint this word. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Awesome. I did that for you because I thought it would be good to, you know, segue. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if you want to play the whole time, you can. You don't have to. So, you know, here's what I want to say. To get involved with God is not to fall into a cozy cottage, as some might imagine. To get involved with God is not to gracefully fall into a Thomas Kincaid painting. <laughs> Nobody knows what Thomas Kincaid is. My mom had them on her wall in our house growing up, and they were like these serene, yes. you know, very floral, right? They're, somebody may have them in their house. I don't want to knock them, you know. They're beautiful. And, yeah. But a lot of times, you know, and I, I've, you know, I've, I've been an American all my life, right? So, I, I yeah, hey. <laughs> so, I know a little bit. <laughs> yes, yes, America. I know a little bit, a little bit of what it means to be a Christian in the West. That's my point. And I think oftentimes that we look at, you know, the gospel, we look at Christianity, we look at faith as though that, you know, everything is about going to heaven after we die. You know, we get saved as a means of fire insurance, you know, as my pastor used to say. And, uh, and we just look at it as, okay, well, once we get saved, we just gracefully, we fall into this just super safe, super protected, super easy, super chill, you know, relationship with God that's so soft, mushy, cushy, ooey-gooey, lovey-dovey, there's never any problems. And if there is, it, it's obvious that I'm being attacked. Are you guys with me this morning, right? But I want, I want you to know that to get involved with God is not safe, but to get involved with God is to actually be thrust into a world of risk. To be thrust into a world of risk. It's not to you know, just, just go sit in a cozy cottage. There are moments for that. But sometimes getting involved with God looks like a fiery furnace. Sometimes getting involved with God looks like a lion's den. Sometimes getting involved with God looks like being in prison. John the Baptist. Right? Sometimes getting involved with God looks like a sinking ship. Paul the Apostle. How many of you guys just wouldn't even get on a boat with Paul? Right? You know what I'm saying? Like, he, he had three ships sink in his missionary journeys. I'm like, Paul's on the manifest. I'm out. I'm good. I'll take the next one, right? You know what I mean? Because he's just always involved in risk. Every, 
every time we read about something that he's doing in ministry, it's like risk is always connected. Have you guys noticed that about the scriptures? So it's crazy to think that getting involved with God is just going to be very simple, very comfortable, never a problem, super easy all the time. I mean, look at the passages that we've read. Mary is highly favored by God. So we might, at least in today's understanding of Christianity, be able to adopt this belief that everything is going to go smooth for her. Everything's going to be fine for Mary. It's going to be great. And, uh, you know, she'll be good. But what happened to Mary is that she invited God in and therefore was thrust into a world of risk. Even though she was blessed, blessed and highly favored by the Lord, Simeon prophesied to her that a sword would pierce through her soul. And I think it's all safe to say that that prophecy did come to pass as she watched her baby boy be crucified. Can we all agree with that? And this is something that all of us are going to experience if we're really going to take up the promise of God over our life and be obedient to it and not shut it down and shut it off but continue to surrender to the Holy Spirit and do what He's asked us to do in this life. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Because we don't yet live in the New Jerusalem. Last time I checked, you know, there's still principalities and powers. There's still sin. There's still darkness. Right? There's still evil in the world. And so this is something that is very normal, very natural for Christians, but we have to be aware of it so that we just don't expect that this is what faith is supposed to be about. And that's what I want to say to you guys. As we're entering this season, as we're shifting directions, and as God is speaking to us, and as God is asking us to step out and do unprecedented things for Him and His kingdom, we shouldn't expect that it's just going to be easy and simple, and there's going to be no opposition, that it'll never be difficult. Guys, we're going after seeing a city set on fire for Jesus Christ. We can expect that the enemy is going to try and resist what we're going to do. But we're going to be knowledgeable. Paul tells us don't be ignorant or unlearned of Satan's devices. We're going to be acknowledge that and go for it anyway. <laughs> Amen? Yeah? Let me, let, me, let me look through sort of some passages in the history of our faith and, 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 and really shed some light on this. Let's consider Abraham. Now, Abraham was a businessman. We can, we, could, we, we, can, you know, we can say Abraham was probably a pretty wealthy guy, right? Like he was living in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans. And even if he wasn't wealthy, we can assume that his life was okay, that it was pretty good, right? But then one day he encountered a mysterious God. And then that God told him to pick up everything that he had, leave his hometown, leave his family, and go to a city that he would show him on the way. Right? He didn't give him any map quest instructions. If you remember the map quest. But he did give him a GPS, a God positioning system. Right? <laughs> so he did have that. But he's like, hey, where are you, where are you taking me, God? Where are you going to leave me? He said, I'll show you on the way. How many of you guys, your life is like that? You're like, man, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm doing my best to follow God. Well, you're in good company because the father of our faith had the very same experience that you did thousands of years ago. So don't fret. Don't fear. Don't think that you're all alone. The father of your faith had the same experience, right? And so Abraham was not a young man. He wasn't a kid. He wasn't 16 or 17, maybe around the age that... That, that Mary was. It was a time for him in his life to just play it safe. He was a little bit older. He probably didn't want to risk too much. But God speaks to him and says, I want you to go. 
I want you to do something new. I want you to do something you never done before. I want you to move in a direction you never went before. I want you to carry something you never carried before. I want you to say something you never said before. Because I'm going to release something in your life that's brand new. Despite the fact that he was an older guy. It was a time for him to settle down. Play it safe. Run his business. Enjoy his grandkids. Right? When they came. And God says, no, I want you to go. I want you to move in a new direction. And this is the man who is considered to be the father of our faith. And if we want to look at a lifestyle that embodies faith aside from Jesus, one of the best pictures that we could get is Abraham in the Old Testament, living a life of faith. Now, even though we talk about Abraham as being the father of our faith, Abraham probably wouldn't have known that word in the way that we know that word today. Like we talk about faith and what we mean by faith when we talk about it is, is typically theology, right? Yeah. We talk about faith as a set of beliefs. We talk about faith as believing in the right things. But Abraham wouldn't have thought of faith as theology. Abraham would have thought of faith as risk. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's good. This is what Abraham would say about his faith is that he took a risk on God. Yeah. Yeah. That he stepped out and he took a risk on God. When nobody else was moving, he moved. That's what Abraham did. And as a result, he was thrust into a world of great risk. Now, let's consider Moses. Moses grew up in Pharaoh's courts, right? He grew up in a, uh, the lap of luxury, so to speak. And he tries to help his people, and he ends up killing an Egyptian, and then he flees. Now, he spent 40 years as a shepherd. After 40 years, you know, he was increased in, in goods, his livelihood, you know, he had, a, he had sheep to shepherd. There were all these things that were happening in, in his life. And so we can assume that he was probably pretty comfortable after 40 years living outside of the city. He's, he's, he's in a comfortable place. He's, he's married at this point. He has some kids at this point. But then all of a sudden, one day, he encounters a bush that's on fire that won't go out. And, and because he gets involved with God, he is thrust into a world of great risk. Because the burning bush, how many of you guys know God's in the fire, right? And then God speaks to him and says, I want you to go talk to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him to let my people go. Now, how many of you guys know Pharaohs don't like to be told what to do? That sounds risky to me. How about you guys? He said, man, how can I be the one to go? Well, you know, what qualifications do I have? I'm not even a good speaker. But he gets involved with God, and as a result, he gets involved with risk. Now, consider David. You know, David is sort of the model king of the Old Testament. And when he steps out onto the stage of Israel's history, he steps out as a teenage boy, and he's moving towards a giant, Goliath of Gath, and so he's saying, I'm doing this in the name of Yahweh. You're, you're huge, you're powerful, you're strong, you're dangerous, but, but my God is bigger. How many, of you guys, how many of you guys would say, that sounds a little risky? He didn't have weaponry, but he had faith, right? And he said, I'm moving, I'm running toward the army, right? I'm going, that sounds risky to me. And he didn't look at himself and say, I'm just a teenager. He didn't look at his skills and say, you know, I got this sling and a few stones, right? He knew he was just a youth, but he understood what his real weapons were. They were his faith. They were the words that God had given him. Consider Elijah. You know, Elijah is a good representative of the prophets. And without any introduction, he arrives on the scene. 
in Israel's history as well. And then he's challenging an evil queen named Jezebel and hundreds of her demonic prophets. I think we could hashtag risky, right? I don't know if you guys would agree, but that seems a little risky to me, right? It's one guy, right? And he's taking on this evil queen and 400 prophets. Now, he's successful. Victory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Awesome. Things are going great for me. But then the very next day, you know, he's fleeing to the point where we find him curled up in the fetal position, asking God to take his life in the desert. Why was that? Because he got involved with God. You guys with me today? So let's think about Mary again. You know, Mary was the mother of our Lord. But what does she say yes to? See, she says yes to being the mother of the Messiah. But she's also saying yes to becoming an unwed pregnant teenager. Which if you if you look at that at the context of the society in which she lived, at the very least, she was risking serious misunderstanding at the very least. And if we think it's all Old Testament stuff, we can move into New Testament. Consider John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the one that God chose to prepare the way of the Messiah. And John the Baptist had a ministry that only lasted about a year. A lot of times we see pictures of him where he looks like 50 or 45. You know, he's out, he's baptizing people. He looks a little bit older. He's wearing his camel hair tuxedo. You know, he's eating honey and wild locusts. You know, he's strange. The truth is John was 30 years old when he was killed. His ministry could only last for about a year. It was so powerful, so dynamic that principalities and powers had to take him out. Is this making sense to you guys? This is a preacher who challenges King Herod. And unlike those in the fiery furnace, John the Baptist does not get rescued. Right? Let's consider Apostle Peter. Well, Peter, he had a fishing business. He had a wife. He probably had children. And one day he's out fishing, and all of a sudden this mysterious prophet from Galilee, walks the shoreline, says, come and follow me. So he drops his nets. He drops his career. He drops his security. He drops his money. And he begins to follow this mysterious prophet named Jesus. He leaves it all behind. That sounds risky. And when you look at the life of Peter, his risk never lets up. It continues to increase. At one point, the risk becomes so great that he actually denies Jesus. You guys remember that? There was too much risk in the moment. Of course, later on, we know that he was, he was restored. But when we look at the book of Acts, we see that the risk continues there. Eventually, Peter is arrested. He's put in prison. He is rescued. But eventually, he is crucified upside down. And this is the person that Jesus chose to build his church with. Is it okay, is it okay if I say once again, like, to get involved with God is not safe. It's risky, right? If we're really living for God, consider Paul. From the moment that Paul gets messed up with Jesus, you know, he gets knocked off his horse. You know, he's blinded. He ends up later on stoned, uh, not by weed. He's like actually stoned. <laughs> I just want to clarify. I just want to clarify that just in case. He ends up stoned, and then he gets beat up a, a bunch of times. Three of his ships sank. Uh, he's beaten with lashes, and finally he has his head cut off. That, that's what happened to Paul. 
Is it okay? I know it's Sunday morning. Is it cool I'm saying this stuff? Okay. All of these people, right, they lived a lifestyle of nonstop risk because they got involved with God. And Jesus is not exempt of this either. Let's look at our Savior Jesus. He was in danger at his birth. Before he knew anything, before he could even preach a message, he was in danger. His entire ministry is performed under the shadow of the cross. He is the word made flesh, and his ministry could only endure for three years before he was crucified. There's a theologian that I enjoy reading from time to time named Walter Brueggemann, and he's written a lot of books on the Old Testament. And one of the quotes that he has is a quote that I love, and he says, The gospel is a very dangerous idea. We have to see how much of that dangerous idea that we can perform in our own lives. There is nothing safe about the gospel. Jesus did not get crucified because he was a nice man. So guys, here's the gospel. If I could sum it up for you. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Which means that all other systems are imposters. And that they should bow their knee and they should submit to Jesus. So I think we can all agree that if we try selling that to the pharaohs of the world, that our lives become one big risk, right? Because people, they don't want to submit to that idea that Jesus Christ is Lord and that they must bow their knee and confess with their lips that Jesus is Lord, that that reality should change the way that they treat other people, that that reality should change the way that they run their business, that that reality should change the way that they see the poor, that that reality should change the way that they see leadership, that that reality should change the way that they do life, that that reality should change the way that they do marriage, that that reality should change the way that they... Think of religion or, or finance or culture or because that reality that Jesus is Lord means that Jesus is king of everything. Amen. You guys with me? And to live like that and to proclaim that and to confess that and to live like that in public is actually to get involved with risk. Because that's to cut against the grain of culture. That's to go in the opposite direction of principalities and powers. And that's to move in an opposite way as those who are devoted to maintaining the status quo. Wow. Is, is it helping you guys today at all? Now, if you get mixed up in this, like this is the thing of revolutionaries. And that's honestly, guys, that's what we're called to be. When Jesus said, hey, I'm here, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, we have to understand that Jesus grew up in a kingdom, right? It was called the Roman Empire. Jesus grew up where a king was present. His name was Caesar. Now, we don't, we don't connect well with that because we live in a democracy where everybody gets a vote. But in the context in which Jesus grew up, people didn't get to vote. It was what the king said, that's what goes. So when you think about Jesus stepping onto the scene and saying, hey, there's a new kingdom and a new king, and it me. It me. That Instagram filter or whatever, it me. Right? You know, like, that's a, that's a statement. It's not, Jesus didn't come to start a religion. Jesus came to establish a kingdom. One in which that he was king, that he was central, that he was the center. One in which that he was the Lord, that what he says goes because he's sovereign. 
You live life like that and tell me that you won't live a life where risk is, is attached. So this is the way I want to close because I'm out of time. I'm remembering, and I've quoted this before, and I may actually misquote it, but, you know, I, I love the, the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis quote. I've actually never seen the movie. I don't read fantasy or anything like that, so you guys pray for me. I'd like to be healed. But um, my friends try to get me to read fiction. I just can't do it. I don't know what it is. But I have seen some of the movies, right? You know, and I know that Yahweh is embodied as Aslan. Am I got my facts straight, everybody? Okay, awesome, right? I'm doing good so far, right? And there's at one point in the film where he's talking about Aslan, and he says he's not safe, but he's good. And that's the thing I want to remind you guys about God, is that in the midst of me telling you guys that this is something that we should become well acquainted with, if we truly want to be a community, a family, a church that transforms the city of Nashville, we should become comfortable with becoming uncomfortable. We should become acquainted with risk. We should get used to the fact that there's going to be opposition, that people are going to try and stop the spread of the gospel when the gospel is really spreading. Now, I'm not talking about religion and just inviting people to church. I'm telling you, when the gospel starts affecting every sphere of society and it starts transforming the way people do business, people do entertainment, people do government. I mean, you guys have heard that message. When the gospel truly spreads in that way, I think it's safe to say that all of us, will need to become comfortable with getting uncomfortable and saying, ah, oh, it doesn't matter the pushback. I'm forging ahead because this is what God has called me to do. This is the word that I have. This is the promise that I have received. I am a world changer. I'm not called to sit on the, on the, on the sideline. I'm called to get engaged and get in the game. And some of you guys in here, you've stopped. You're out of the game because of the resistance, because of the opposition that you faced. And as a result, you said, I must not be moving in the direction of God. Can I tell you that the opposition may just have been a testimony that you were moving in the right direction of God? just want to invite you guys to stand. I want to pray over you. Guys, this is what we're called to. I, I, I know that it's not just five good points. And I would apologize for that if I was sorry. <laughs> but, but I'm not because I think that my job, my role, the severity that I feel in this moment of, of, of being a, a pastor, of being a leader, the privilege of being a part of the body of Christ in that way is to, is to share truth unashamedly and, and without reservation. And I want you guys to know that I believe in you. And I know that we're called to change Nashville. I know that we're called to see this nation transformed. Yeah, yeah. And if we're going to go after that, we got to be ready for what that means. Yes. You guys with me? Yeah. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ, for your son, Jesus Christ, that in the face of adversity, that he didn't quit, but that he, that he forged ahead, that in the face of opposition, that he said, just like his mom, so be it unto me according to your word. 
that he continued to, to, to move forward, that he continued to press onward. And Jesus in here, no matter our age, young or old, no matter our demographic, no matter our background, no matter our race, no matter where we've moved here from, no matter all of the things that could become a factor in society, in the kingdom of God, Lord, you're just looking at us, you're looking at our hearts, and you're looking at our yes. And we just say yes to you today, God. We just say yes to you today, God. We say yes, just like Mary, God. We say yes. Whatever you want us to do, God, we say yes. Whatever you want us to do as a church, God, as Legacy Nashville, we say yes. Whatever you want this thing to look like, God, we say yes. Whatever you, whatever you ask us to do, Lord, we say yes. Whatever you want us to, to do instead, Lord, whatever you want us to change, if there's a place that, that we need to alter or adapt, God, we say yes. Because ultimately, we want to see your kingdom come and your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. And we give ourselves to this purpose today in Jesus' name. Real quickly, quick, quickly as we're closing, if you're in here today and you do not know Jesus, you're not connected to Jesus, you know that you've come here today and you're not saved, you're not walking with the Lord. Just for one moment, I'd ask everybody in here, just close your eyes, bow your head just for one moment because I want to give an opportunity for any person in here. If that's you and you just want to come home right now and be saved today, I just want you to lift your hand real quick. I'm going to pray for you. We're going to believe that today, today is the day, right now is the time, salvation. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Well, guys, I bless you. I bless you in the name of Jesus. I declare that God is with you and that you have found great favor with the Lord. Amen.